What did laughing gas have to do with the winning of the West? I don't know. <laughs> what barnyard animal can learn its name and do tricks faster than your pet dog? Oh, really? <laughs> Answers to those and other questions in this episode of The Off-Ramp. With Bob. And Marcia. Smith! <laughs> Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, Marcia, we think of the Wild West as a rough and tumble place. What in the world would laughing gas have to do with that? Well, I'm sure it's one of the few things besides whiskey, that made it all bearable. <laughs> <laughs> it actually made it possible in a way. Oh, how's that? Okay, well, uh, you know, the Colt revolvers are the ones that were supposed to help win the West. Samuel Colt's guns, the revolvers. Uh -huh. And in his early years, in order to help raise money to make prototypes of this revolving breech pistol, Samuel Colt used a... Uh, bit of show business. He toured the country as Dr. Colt, C-O-U-L-T, and demonstrated nitrous oxide laughing gas to audiences for entertainment. And after the show, he would take collections. And that's how <laughs> laughing gas... <laughs> I'll bet he did. That's how laughing gas helped to win the West. Oh, that's funny. Isn't that an obscure, funny yeah, thing? It, it is, just, just like us. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> that's great. All right, Bob. What barnyard animal can learn its name and do tricks faster than dogs. A barnyard animal. Yeah. Okay, and we're not talking cats because you can't teach cats to do you much. You can't, you can't tell. So it's a barnyard animal. Would it be some kind of cow? Would it? No. Oh, okay, a horse. No. Okay, well, okay, chickens. No. A chicken. No. You can teach a chicken. You're running out of barnyard. Okay, I don't know. What's the answer? Pigs are one of the <laughs> smartest animals on the planet, Bob. No kidding. Their intelligence ranks higher than dogs and even some primates. When they are trained, piglets can learn their names by two or three weeks of age and respond when called. They can learn basic tricks faster than dogs, too. Also, <laughs> like uh, like yeah. what, rollover, roll play over, dead? Yeah, they do tricks if you want. Fetch a stick? Yeah. I've never seen a pig do that. Yeah, just uh, they just know they're going to be a ham sandwich, so why bother? <laughs> also, if you ever wanted how they communicated to each other, they use their grunts to communicate with other pigs. That makes sense. I've never heard a pig talk or do well, any... Well, no, but everybody has their communications, and uh, there's this grunting. Okay. Okay. The husband of the vice president is now being called the second gentleman. Yes. Because there's a first lady. Yes. There would be a second lady if it was a wife of a vice president, but it's the husband of a vice president. So, gentlemen, how far back in history does that word go, and what did it originally mean? Husband? No, gentleman. gentleman. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Was I listening? No. Hello. Okay. Hello. Uh, lady. A gentleman. I don't know, Bob. Tell me. It goes back to the year 1200. Oh, dear. So it's more than 800 years old, and it's modeled on the French equivalent gentle homme or gentleman, but that did not mean someone with good manners. Originally, gentleman meant belonging to a good, upstanding family. And later, gentlemen came to be known as polite, chivalrous, all those good manners, those kinds of terms. Uh -huh. All right. When was gentleman first used to describe the husband of a female office holder? 
Does this go back to royalty in England? No, it doesn't go no. back that far. Okay. It's the United States. States. I'll give you a hint, and it's the 20th century. Oh, okay. Gee, who? Uh, and actually, here's another hint. This was just looking ahead in the future. There was no such husband. What would they call Bill Clinton if Hillary won? No, 1924, when the writer for the Baltimore Evening Sun wondered, what would happen if a woman became president? <laughs> would the gentleman look after the <laughs> housekeeping and be a, sort of the oh, first gentleman sakes. of the land while his wife was busy with the problems would of state? Would he wash the underwear? God forbid! <laughs> But that's exactly where we've come. And uh, with that, uh, Doug Emhoff, the husband of Kamala Harris, we now have our second gentleman of the United States. We still have to have a first gentleman. That will be when we have the first woman president. Okay. They'll be the yeah. first gentleman. Well, that makes sense. Okay. Since you're on the inauguration, can you tell me, Bob, mm -hmm. what meme came out of the inauguration? Does it have to do with peacefulness or peaceful transition or something no, like no, that? No, no, no. It's Bernie Sanders and his mittens. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> his homemade mittens by some woman out uh, east somewhere made him these big woolly mittens. That and his blue mask. And people have been uh, spreading that image everywhere. He's kind of a grumpy, yeah, uh, grumpy fashion. Grum grumpy and with his mittens. And so people have used that uh, meme six ways to Sunday. I've seen that. They, uh, they take that same image and they disguise it with different... Put them next to a swimming pool yeah, <laughs> and yeah. all sorts of things. It's quaint. But the word, when do you think uh, meme came about? Just recently? I thought it was a, a recent term, but maybe it goes back a I long time it, ago. I thought it was too. But it uh, it's from a 1976 book called The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. This is the best I could come up with a definition of how he used the word meme. An ambiguous idea residing in the brain complete with predictions and empirical support. <laughs> you know, I thought it was a modern cliche. So did I. That's what I thought a yeah. meme, meme was. Well, actually, uh, by definition, it's an idea, behavior, or style that becomes a fad and spreads quickly by imitation. It so. certainly is easier than saying all those words, just yeah. saying it's a meme. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it sure is. And it goes back to 1976, so it's not a new idea at all. And this is kind of interesting. What was one of the first changes Joe Biden made in the Oval Office when he became president? <laughs> I'll give you a couple hints. It's about the Resolute Desk. Yeah. Did he change the desk? Change something about the desk. The, the, he removed a red push button. There's a red push button there? There was a red push really? button. Really? To drop people into a hole in front of the desk? <laughs> <laughs> no. He removed a red push button President Trump installed on the Resolute desk to order Diet Coke. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And a day after uh, <laughs> President Biden's uh, inauguration, a London Times reporter saw photos from the overall office. He said, President Biden has removed the Diet Coke button. <laughs> That's funny. When Times editor Tim Shipman and I interviewed Donald Trump in 2019, we became fascinated by a little red button and what it did. Eventually, Trump pressed it, and the butler swiftly brought in a Diet Coke on a silver platter. It's gone now. Wow. And that might sound too weird to be true, but there were two or three other references to this. A Financial Times writer said, sitting across from Donald Trump in the Oval Office, my eyes were drawn to a little red button on yeah. a box. And he said, he asked him, is that the nuclear button? Yeah. And Donald Trump said, no, everyone thinks it is. 
Everybody gets a little nervous when I I'll press bet, the button. I'll bet, I'll bet. <laughs> oh, my God, he's pressing the button. And the uh, red button was also noticed by an Associated Press reporter, Julie Pace, well, when you... she interviewed him. So with the push of a red button, a White House butler arrived with a Coke wow, for I'd the like, president. That's, that's pretty cool. I'd That'd like be nice. That. Yeah, somebody bring me coffee in the morning, wine at night. I think this could work. You need a red button, Marsha. <laughs> and you got me. I'll do whatever you want. So. <laughs> Hardly, but you're pretty good. <laughs> oh, thank you. When you think about it, you know, Trump didn't smoke or drink. He uh, didn't drink alcohol. But he was probably a little addicted to diet. I, it was probably a pretty caffeinated he, he, office, Yeah, I'd probably might. have slept better at night if he didn't drink so much <laughs> of that. But that's just supposition. That's just you part. talking. Yes. Okay, Bob, what president delivered the longest inaugural dress? I was going to say Bill Clinton because he gave he one of the long- He was a He gave one of the longest State of the Union messages, but uh, I don't know. Who was it? <laughs> William Henry Harrison. Really? Yeah. He wrote by himself the whole speech and delivered an 8,045-word speech. And it took so long to deliver in the rain and the cold that what happened, Bob? He died. He died. He, He had no hat on, no scarf, no gloves. He was trying to show that he was macho. And he caught hypothermia. Mm. And then it turned into pneumonia, and he died 32 days later of pneumonia. His speech took two hours to deliver. Oh, my goodness. Really? Yeah. Two-hour speech uh, in the rain and the sleet. uh, Couldn't cut it short. No, and Let he, me just skip to the end. He paid a big price for yeah, it. He sure did. Well, who do you think did the shortest? The shortest inaugural address. Uh-huh. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. No, but he was number three. Okay, okay. Okay. Okay, who? George Washington. Oh, really? Yeah, he delivered the shortest inaugural address, and it came in at just... 135 words. Oh, that's very short. What is that, a minute? When you talk, you're 160 words a minute? 150 words a minute. Yeah, so this is under a minute. It was his second inaugural dress, so I guess he figured he had said everything he needed to say. Well, George Washington, if you read a lot of George Washington stuff, he never went for attention. Very interesting guy. Number one was George. Number three was Lincoln. And number two, the second shortest, was FDR. Not his first address. Probably the last one. Yeah, the last one. Okay. All right, we're talking presidents, we're talking vice presidents here. We know that there are term limits on presidents. They can only be elected to two terms of four years each. Now, here's my question. Yes. What are the term limits on vice presidents? Well, I would think it would be the same. You would think so, but But guess what? (laughs) It's not. There are no term limits on vice presidents. So they could be, uh, everybody could keep... Just like members of Congress, they face no restrictions on how long they serve, but no VP has served more than two terms. In fact, only nine of America's 48 VPs have served for eight years. Only nine of 48. Really? And how many VPs have become president of 48? Of 48. I will say... Half, 24. Not that many, amazingly. Only 14. Really? Only 14. And in our time, there have been five. I'm talking our lifetime, yeah. you and me, Marcia, yeah. <laughs> from uh, Richard Nixon on. Uh-huh. Five of these people who are presidents had been vice president. All I right. got another one. Sure, go ahead, Originally, <laughs> Bobby Smith in the back row, what is it? I got a question for you. <laughs> Originally, the vice presidency went to the person who got the second most votes. When you voted, the second most vote, that was the vice president. Yeah. Did that ever lead to anything awkward? 
Well, sure, back in the day before uh, you could pick your own. So, Like in 1796, yeah. the two candidates were former friends who'd yeah. become Oh, was enemies. that Jefferson and Adams? Jefferson and Adams, yep, yep. Yeah, they... And then more awkwardness came in the election of 1800 when Jefferson and his party's preferred choice for VP, Aaron Burr, pulled uh-huh. the same number of electoral votes. So Aaron Burr, who's infamous now, received the same number of electoral votes as Thomas Jefferson, and that sent the contest to the House of Representatives, and they went 36 ballots before they finally selected Thomas Jefferson. Was that before or after Burr killed Hamilton? That was before. Yeah. But he did kill Hamilton while vice president. Yeah, so. (laughs) (laughs) Now, by the 1804 election, the 12th Amendment gave us today's standard. Well, let's get more serious, Bob. Oh, serious? Did you know that shrimp have hearts? (laughs) (laughs) They're really tiny little Little hearts, though. (laughs) Where are they located, Bob? Their hearts. Are they located in their tails? You know, that would have been my first guess, but no. In their heads. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that kind of normal? Who has their heart in their head? You can have your heart in your hand. Okay, I guess I was thinking... You can have your heart in your chest. I was thinking of brains, I'm sorry. Yes, that there's a big difference, Bob. <laughs> heart, brains. I'll show you some pictures later. Okay. And we'll discuss. <laughs> All right, smart, and, and, Alec. And their, and their hearts have three pairs of entrances for blood to come and circulate through it to keep their heart pumping through their head. Just, uh, just thought you'd want to know that. Interesting, okay, now. All right. Okay, I've got another vice presidential question. What vice president switched sides and helped his president lose re-election? <laughs> so he could become the vice Wait, president oh, of another guy. Oh, my goodness, how diabolical. And it's a famous, famous name in American history, yeah. but I didn't even know he had been a vice president. Wow, that's, that's... He was a famous senator. Uh, okay, I don't know. John C. Calhoun. Ever heard of him? No. A famous American. Not that you would know. Uh, He was elected vice president under John Quincy Adams in 1824. But four years later, in 1828, he switched sides. He teamed up with Andrew Jackson to defeat Adams. I'm going to defeat my own president. So he did. So he became VP under Jackson. He was the second VP to serve two different presidents. Who was the first? I have no idea. Uh, ever heard the name George Clinton? He was a governor of New York, and I think he built the uh, the canal system in uh, New York. Yeah, no. Uh, but anyway, he was VP under Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. The interesting thing about John C. Calhoun, the one that went with Andrew Jackson, he and the Jackson clashed, and he eventually quit. Oh, really? <laughs> he yeah. quit because there was a Senate seat opened up, and he went to run for that, and then he left vice see, president. See, politics, there's never a time when things were... Normal. Yeah. <laughs> it's always been crazy. Always. Okay, to follow your question, can you ever escape a black hole? I don't think you can, because I think they're like swirling vortexes out in space, aren't they? There is no known escape from a black hole. Do you know anybody who's ever been in a black hole? No. Okay. But to escape Earth, you have to travel <laughs> at 25,000 miles per hour, right? If you go any slower, you uh, you won't break the planet's gravitational pull. So we can't get there. To escape from a black hole, you must go faster than the speed of light, which we know Einstein says is impossible because the speed of light is 186,000 miles Per second. That's right. Very per fast. Per second. So uh, as of now, there's no getting out of a black hole. So go around it if you can. <laughs> okay. Then here's my question. <laughs> Has anyone ever escaped hell? And how do you escape hell? 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And let's take a break. We'll be back. You're listening to Trivia on the Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Okay, we're back, Bob and Marsha Smith and the Off-Ramp. Okay, I've got a question for you. I told you about one VP who quit the job. There was a second VP who quit his job, and that was in our lifetime. Who was that? Was that, that wasn't, uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah, Agnew? Was, what's his name? Yes, Agnew? Spiro T. Agnew. Why did he resign? I don't know. Was he ticked off at Nixon? He was charged with tax evasion and yeah. bribery, yeah, accepting right. bribes. I think he, yeah, I think Nixon said, just quit so I don't have to fire you. And here's one more on vice presidents. Uh-huh. What world-famous prize have three vice presidents won? Not presidents, but vice presidents. What famous prize? The, the Nobel Peace Prize? The Nobel Prize. You're absolutely right. <laughs> won by three different people. Huh. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt. He won a Nobel Prize in 1906 for negotiating the end of the Russo-Japanese War. And Charles Dawes, under Calvin Coolidge, won the Nobel Prize for a World War I reparations plan for Germany. And Al Gore won a 2007 Nobel Prize for raising awareness of climate change. I'd totally forgotten about that one. Anyway, there's some facts and interesting tidbits about the vice presidency. Well, thank you, Bob. You're welcome, Marcia. Here's another tidbit. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. (laughs) George Custer... Did you know he wasn't the only member of his family to die at the Little Bighorn? Oh, really? I didn't know this. But two of his brothers, uh, a nephew and a brother-in-law, were also among the 226 men who died at Custer's last stand. So he wiped out a lot of his family. Wow. Two, two of his brothers, a nephew, and a brother-in-law. Oh, my God. See, that's Thanks, why— Thanks, George. Yeah. Thanks a lot. The, yeah, that's why military doesn't let families serve in the same regiments anymore. anymore. Yeah, yeah, they don't they let them l- serve They learned together. a valuable lesson there, just wipe out— generation of family there you know the world's best known sculptures is the thinker yes. by auguste rodin 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 uh so who was the thinker bob well actually it was originally <laughs> called the stinker and then they had to change that because it wasn't considered sophisticated enough i don't know who the thinker was marcia well this is very interesting the italian poet Dante Alighieri, he wrote the Divine Comedy. Anyway, Rodin did it of him. Oh, really? Yeah. He was supposed to be thinking in front of the gates of hell. In fact, Rodin named the sculpture The Poet because he did that whole That was the thing. original name of it. Yes, okay. but it was an obscure critic, unfamiliar with Dante, who misnamed the masterpiece with the title we use today. The Thinker. I'll be darned. So he, yeah, he misnamed it, and it stayed. And Rodin's statue is naked because the sculptor wanted a heroic classical figure to represent thought as poetry. And the classics, the Greeks had mostly naked, nude sculptures. It's more fun to look at. It is more fun. Depends on... (laughs) Let's just get serious. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Something that was lost in the news the last few weeks of 2020 was a death of a person who was the last of her kind. Do you have any idea who that was? A woman who died at the age of 101 in a nursing home in Missouri. She's the last of her kind. When, what year? December of 2020. Last of her kind. It kind of got lost in all the political stuff that was happening in the year end. Oh, the last of her kind. Jeez, tell me. This will blow your mind. She was the last 
Civil War widow. Oh, geez, yes, I did read that. She was Helen Viola Jackson, the Gosh. wife of a member of the 14th Missouri Cavalry in the Civil War. She was 101 years old when she died. Wow, can you imagine? Now, she was a 17-year-old schoolgirl when she married 93-year-old James Bolin in 1936. Her father had volunteered her to stop by Bolin's house daily to provide care and help with chores. This was in the Great Depression. Uh Uh-huh. And to pay back her kindness, he offered to marry her so she could receive his pension. Well, that's a nice thing. When he died. And they wed in secret at his home in 1936. And there was no intimacy in the marriage. Uh, She never lived with him. And after his death, she did not seek his pension. And she never told anyone about their marriage until 2017 when she was talking to her pastor. You're kidding. She thought she'd be emblazoned with a scarlet A because this would be so such a scandal for a young girl to marry an older gentleman. She kept it a secret her entire wow. life. Her pastor said she told him about her secret marriage to a much older man. And she mentioned in passing that he had fought in the Civil War. He said, I said, what? Back up about that. What do you mean? He was in the Civil War? <laughs> He checked into her story, found everything was spot on, and then he checked with service records. Yep, yep, it's true. And after a lifetime of avoiding her past, she embraced it. In her final years, she got a place on the Missouri Walk of Fame. She uh, spoke to school children and had a Facebook page dedicated to her. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And then after her relatives found out about his role in her life, they went to her nursing home and presented her with a framed photo of him. She broke down and cried. She kept touching the frame and said, this is the only man who ever loved me. Oh, did she ever, did she ever marry? Never got married, no. Again. Never married again. Wow. And I guess this was a common thing back in the uh, Depression that it wasn't considered, there were a lot of older men who were Civil War pensioners who were really in need of help and young girls would be their maids or and several of them uh, married for the older pension. men and they get because they could give the pension that's how the civil yeah. war pensions worked you could give your pension to a child or whatever in fact the last civil war pensioner irene triplett died last year too she was 90 years old she was still receiving 73 dollars a month in a civil war pension here in the 21st century And in the midst of Black Lives Matter and Confederate flags being walked through the Capitol, still here are the last remnants of the Civil War, the last human beings associated with that. Still alive. Amazing little connection there, Bob. 2020. Speaking of distress. Yes. What do the distress letters, SOS, stand for? Uh, Save our ship, everybody used to think. Uh But I don't think it stood for anything. It was just memorable by the way it sounded. Save our ship, save our souls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Morse code is a series of electrical impulses that signify the letters of a structured message. And uh, what is SOS? You know what it is in dots and dashes? It's dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, dot, dot. S-O-S. Three dots, three dashes, three dots. That's what you did. And that was picked because... It was more memorable. So it's the easiest combination to transmit 333. Hmm, okay. Long, short, long, short. It's uh, Makes so sense. Most people can understand it when they hear it. Yeah. You're right. It doesn't stand for anything, and it's distress. Okay. All right, Marsha. This is something that came upon recently, and I'd forgotten about this. And she sang at the inaugural. How did Jennifer Lopez change the internet forever? Uh, <laughs> this happened in 2000. 2000. So 20 years ago, did she post a video of her dancing or something? Well, somebody posted something of her. Okay. All right. 
It was a green Versace dress she wore at the February Grammy Awards in 2000. Uh A very revealing dress with a neckline that plunged down to her navel. And people heard about it, and the web exploded with searches for pictures of that dress. (laughs) But back then, Google was only two years old, and search results back then were just blue links, underlying blue words. So finding something wasn't easy. But Eric Schmidt said it was obvious. The dress was the most popular search query we had ever seen. Oh, wow. But we had no surefire way of getting users what they wanted right away. So that inspired Google to invent Google Images. And it it was not a fast thing. They put two people on that project, and it took a whole year to develop a way to easily search for images on the web. Wow. So J-Lo. J-Lo did it. Is the instigator for Google search images. (laughs) That's right. Wow, that's a claim to fame. And they launched uh, Google Images in July 2001, but that's how Jennifer Lopez and her revealing dress changed the internet forever. Wow, fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's an off-the-grid question, Bob. Why is the word cuckold used to describe the husband of an unfaithful wife? Well, that's a good question. I've, I've seen that term a lot more lately for some reason, but I don't know why. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, my, my favorite use of that word was in uh, one of my favorite movies, Crazy Stupid Love. Okay. Steve, Steve Carell walks around like in a day saying, I'm a cuckold. I was cuckold. <laughs> it was, I, and I kept repeating it. It's when your, your spouse is having an affair and it's so obvious, yes. but not to you necessarily. It's a term, centuries-old metaphor, for a deceived husband and is taken from the habits of the European cuckoo bird, which in the spring lays a single egg in the nest of some other <laughs> unsuspecting bird so they can take the time to sit on it and hatch it. <laughs> and then they can feed it too when it hatches. So it get you know, it's all the fun and no responsibility. So they go, that doesn't look like you or me. Yeah. <laughs> When a husband has been cuckolded, his nest has been violated by another and who might have well left behind his own offspring. So that's it. It comes from the cuckoo bird who is, I've known that the cuckoo bird did that. I didn't know that. Well, that's great. So that's the origin of that word. Yeah, of cuckold. I've got a word origin question. Okay. When people are married, they are bride and groom. What does the word bride mean originally? Ah. Originally, you, you'll hate slave. This. <laughs> no, not slave. <laughs> but originally, the word bride is derived from an ancient Teutonic word meaning to cook. Oh, for God's sake. The bride and groom is the man and his cook. Okay. Well, you lost that lottery, babe. All right. I just want to say to any rampers, our listeners out there, if you have a question you'd like us to use and give you a shout out, just go to our website. At the offramp.show. Go to the contact us section and type in your information. And just put in a question and the answer. If it's for one of us specifically, say it. Otherwise, one of us will choose it. Say, Bob, this is for you. Ask Marcia this. (laughs) And uh, also where you're from. That'll be fun. (laughs) You want something there to wrap us up? Sure. This past week was Martin Luther King Day. And he had many memorable things to say. And one of them, which isn't often heard, is, but I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. Very nice. It is. Isn't that nice uh, imagery? Mm-hmm. And then I'll end up with my one of my favorite poets, Cookie Monster. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, today me will live in the moment unless it is unpleasant. 
in which case, me will eat a cookie. <laughs> me will eat a cookie. Okay. <laughs> that sounds good. Let's go get a cookie right I, now. I, I'm with you there, Bob. Let's go to that place where you, they warm them up oh, and yeah. serve oh, them to you. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this episode of The Off-Ramp. We hope you've enjoyed your stay with us. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us next time when we have more fun trivia for you here on The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.